You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to A Priest and a Bishop Walk into a Story. I'm Frank Krebs. He's the bishop and my friend. He's also the presiding bishop of the Ecumenical Catholic Communion. Although I also know he likes to bike and he builds model trains with his spouse. Oh, by the way, I'm Jessica Gazzola. And she's the priest. A priest in the Ecumenical Catholic Communion. But she's also a mom of three precious little kids and spends as much time as possible outside with her family. So you found your way today into an ongoing conversation on progressive Catholic life. So in this first episode, we're going to set the stage for what's to come this season. This is a new venture for us, and we're very excited. So we're calling this episode Introductory Rights, because in this hour, we hope to introduce you to a couple things. For instance, we're going to begin to prepare a space for people to share their stories. Because we really value stories here, and you're going to learn more about that in a little while, and you're going to hear a little bit of our story as well. And we'd like to share why we think conversations about faith and religion even have a place in ordinary lives. Yeah, we're a priest and we're a bishop, but we're more than that. We're human beings with lives and stories, and we think that there's a place in your life, too, for this conversation that can enrich and make meaning and enliven your life. And we'd like to get to know uh, each other better. Actually, uh, Jessica and I'd like to get to know each other through these conversations, and we assume that you'll get to know us better, but more importantly, that we'll all learn how to get to know just other people in general better as we share rich stories with each other. In this first show, we're going to spend a little bit more time than usual sharing our our ideas and our stories. So we just ask you that you indulge us and we'll allow more time for other unique voices and points of view in future episodes. Even though we're a bishop and a priest, we don't want to be getting into a lot of theology or sort of arcane thoughts about uh, church life. We're more interested in how spiritual values and spiritual activities like like trusting someone, loving someone, hoping in a situation, how these things uh, evidence themselves in our real lives. That's what we mostly want to share about. Well, and Frank, you were such a great teacher for me on this. So Frank was my mentor when I became a priest. He was the senior pastor of the church that I joined and then eventually served. And he used to always tell me when he was coaching me when I was learning how to preach, he would say, you know, tell this, your story and all its particularity, you know, all the little details. And, you know, nobody else is going to have that same story. People are going to hear and glom onto those pieces that resonate because you can find the universal in the particular. And we find that in when we hear people's authentic stories that, wow, like we hear our own story and we hear, especially when people are talking about things that are really authentic and close to their hearts, whether it's religion or spirituality or their child or the work that they're passionate about that 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 sends this vibration into our own bodies and resonates with our story and stories are just really it's a fascinating part of religious life and I think that's why we really want to focus this podcast on stories and not on theology although there's plenty of theology to be found on our website and there's a lot of profound thought out there about stories you can take 
graduate classes on the meaning of stories. I never have. I've never read a decent book on what a story is. And so I didn't really think too much about stories until I worked for a behavioral health care company at one point in my life. And I would go out on these things called critical incident stress debriefings. So say, for instance, if at a bank there had been a robbery, a group of counselors would go in and talk to the people who had been victimized by this. And the counselor would typically start off by just saying, so tell me what happened. Mm. And people would just start talking. And they'd say something like, well, a man walked in and he had a gun. And it's like everyone knows what to do. They know how to tell a story. This is a very human thing. And what the counselor knows on a deeper level is if I just let people talk, they will create a story. You'll be able to tell through the intensity of their voice the emotions that are involved. They might even use some words that clue you into the emotions that are involved in their story. But just somehow as they craft it, they're telling you what they think is important. Mm -hmm. If you stop and think about it, in any story, there are all kinds of things that are left out. But the person who's the storyteller is including what they think is important. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what draws you in. Absolutely. The thing about hearing another person's story, whether it's in a professional capacity or we're just tuning into a podcast or listening to a friend talk, is that it sometimes unconsciously and sometimes very consciously changes our own story and how that it's such a dynamic process. And I have to believe that wise spiritual people throughout the ages tapped into this in different ways because so many religions, including our own Catholic faith, is rooted in stories and in oral storytelling as a means to connect people, as a means to create a vision for what could be to give people hope and also a way to mourn and a way to process. And so it just seems like a natural vehicle to uh, get to a place of meaning in our lives. Exactly. Yeah. It, just as you say that, Jessica, I'm thinking of a, of a basic story in the early church that people just have glommed onto for centuries of this guy named Martin who was in the military, which was a good job in the day, and he had this wonderful scarlet cape that he wore and was proud of and and gave him prestige. And he saw this this person who was very poor, and he took his sword, and he cut the cape in half so that he could share it. Right, so that he could share it with this poor person. And, I mean, just that story has been passed on and on and on. It has inspired people to put aside their prestige and to be generous to someone who has less. And, and that, I mean, there there is St. Martin this and St. Martin that all over Europe. It mm-hmm. just spread so fast because people were attracted to this story. Mm-hmm. My kids go to a school where they celebrate Martinmas. They celebrate the Feast of St. Martin, and they do a play every year where, where St. Martin comes up to, to the beggar, and, and then they ha- he has this vision of an angel that tells him he has to give his life to serving the poor. And anyway, the, the fact that my three- and four-year-old in preschool are part of these performances is just like so enriching to me that I could see these stories that are alive for them in their little preschool minds, but it's like not doing nothing. It's doing something. It's and, a seed. Yeah, and they're seeing adults watching them and being a part of this festival too. To me, that's the best part. Whether you know, and that's at a school. That's not in a church. And when we get together in coffee shops, and you know, you hear great poetry or something like that. Like there's there's just these common experiences of sharing stories that just 
goes above and crosses all these boundaries that I think is a beautiful part of the independent Catholic communion of churches that we're a part of that we're so rooted in the Catholic faith. Like I grew up Roman Catholic and that's part of my bones. It took some imagination, which we'll talk about later when we get into our stories, to imagine that there could be a Catholicism where I could still feel that energy of Catholicism inside of me and yet allow it to be expressed through me as a priest, as a woman, as a mother. And the stories that I tell are going to be particular to me. And yet what's grounded in me are the stories of the tradition that were told to me as a little child, as a four-year-old, as a three-year-old. And that still kind of come through in conscious and unconscious ways. Wow. On Meeting a Stranger by John O'Donohue. With respect and reverence that the unknown between us might flower into discovery and lead us beyond the familiar field, blind with weeds of weariness in the old walls of habit. I love this, I love this piece by John O'Donohue. Of course, Frank knows that John O'Donohue is one of my favorite authors. He's an Irish poet that left us before his time. He died in his 50s. But he left, you know, these beautiful pieces of prose and poetry and blessings um, that's very much part of this sort of Celtic, Irish, you know, wordsmithing. But it just gets at this place that this idea of, of hope in our stories that when we come in contact with someone new, it, it also reflects an openness of heart that when we come into contact with someone new, that this isn't just another object that we're meeting, but that this is a person and experience that can open us up bigger than ourselves. You know, they talk about when you fall in love, like that that euphoria that you feel is that being opened up to another world and that world becoming a part of your own. And, you know, sometimes when we get so navel-gazing and self-centered, it is like we just, it's full of weeds and all these old habits that just kind of make us crusty and blind and but that the possibility of meeting somebody new could pull us out of that could allow us to breathe and grow and see beyond our walls I think is just it feels so viscerally true to me boy that's so exciting hearing you talk about that Jessica because of uh, how true it is for me and to tie that together with what you were talking about earlier when you started to explain a little bit of your story, how you took these Catholic stories that you grew up with, but then you had a story that you wanted to tell that was more Jessica, and how do those two relate? I'd like to put some practical flesh around that now as I just think about what it was like to to get to know you. I remember sort of the context for getting to know you was when the ECC, the Ecumenical Catholic Communion, was, was extremely young. It had just started, really, like the year before, And a friend of mine and I went out to experience what these people were like. And so we saw a vision of Catholicism where all the inclusion issues were there, right? So women were allowed to be ordained. People could be married and be priests. People who were divorced could participate in the church. Gays and lesbians were welcome. And yet the same fabric of Catholicism that we were used to, something that felt very much like home, was present. And we were sort of bowled over by this. Uh, Lay people had a strong, strong voice of leadership and everything that was done. Uh, Clergy and lay cooperated like brothers and sisters rather than kind of a hierarchical model. It was an awesome thing to see. And we brought this back to St. Louis to share 
with some people we were meeting with in a kind of a house church. And then this house church was asked to come and do a presentation Mm -hmm. in a Roman Catholic setting for some people who were uh, exploring more progressive ways of looking at things. They asked us to speak about our church. And we had this little breakout session, and in walks Jessica, and I'm like, who is this uh, person? I don't know her yet, but it's uh, she's a young woman. She's obviously enthused about this, and I, you were just like, it, it just sort of intriguing at that point to me. And then as you began to speak, uh, something really opened up for me, just like you were saying, hmm. um, and that was I had only so this is two thousand four. I had only once to my knowledge, and I'm sorry if I'm offending someone uh, in this statement because maybe I met you and forgot, (laughs) but in 2004, I only remember having met one woman priest, Mm -hmm. and that was Giovanna Piazza, this Mm -hmm. wonderful woman who was at this retreat where we first experienced the ECC. So, okay, I had this experience of here's this person, this wonderful personality, oh, she's functioning as a priest. And I'm thinking, well, this is so natural. Where has this been? You know, so I was kind of opened up on that level. But then when I met you, what you were sharing with the group, maybe you don't remember this, is you said, I wanted to be a priest since I was a little girl. Mm. And it just, uh, there was something in that. I don't know, maybe it tapped into some paternal thing, which is always like a... <laughs> Uh, dynamic in our relationship, I think, but it just seems so so tender and appropriate, and like, and and I just pictured this: who wouldn't want to care for that? Why why wouldn't someone want to nurture that? Why why did why did you have to live your childhood with something that didn't make sense to everyone else around you? Like like that would be like a, a five year old saying, I believe I can fly, you know, and mm. no one would know how to relate to that, mm. you know, so, and that's about how impossible it, am I? It's true. I grew up in a wonderful family and in a wonderful church, but there wasn't the imagination that the skills that I had could be used in that context at all. And, you know, I was searching, I wasn't bitter, I just, wanted to be able to use my gifts. That's all I wanted. And so actually when I met you, I was in seminary already, but studying at an ecumenical seminary and thinking that, well, certainly I'm just going to have to find a a church that's going to accept me. So I was looking at the Lutheran Church and the Episcopal Church and the United Church of Christ, and these were all wonderful connections for me. And I learned so much about Christianity outside of Catholicism, and I valued my education at that ecumenical seminary. But it was in meeting you, Frank, and meeting your group that I was able to just, it was that experience of falling in love, that euphoria where it's like, oh my goodness, like I I feel connected to you, and yet you are opening my world up and opening my imagination up. And oh, wow, I didn't even realize that I was staring at a wall and that there's something beyond the wall. And that was so overwhelmingly exciting to me that it, it just became my passion. This is just what you were saying earlier about the stories opening up each other because the same thing was happening in me. So there it is. We mm. can put right. a spotlight on that. Right. So it's it's mutual, you yeah. know, It's and it's a give and take. And it's it happens over time, too, because, of course, then, right. you know, we become you're, you're, the church grew. So we became Saints Claire and Francis. I was just a member. And I just remember this cozy group that you called a cocoon that you wrapped around me during these years of discernment. It was it was incredible because 
for the first time, I was able to be Catholic and celebrate sacraments, but also use my gifts and not have any holds barred. And, and that was new. <laughs> I remember we brought Giovanna Piazza. I'm just remembering that okay. now. We mm-hmm. asked her to come to St. Louis and she visited the cocoons. Mm-hmm. It was like, we need somebody to, you know, sort of show everyone what this is like. This is what Jessica is mm-hmm. aspiring to. And that's so much a part of my story, too. I was thinking about this uh, as I was preparing for today that I did become ordained. In 2007, I was ordained. I was still very young. I mean, I was 26. and Which is how old I was when I was ordained. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you're just a baby, right? <laughs> and <laughs> and you're trying to figure out what it means to put on this man that in the church that you come from has such gravitas and weight and this set-apartness. And I didn't feel set apart. I mean, I was part of the church, and and they were recognizing my gifts and allowing me to use them. But I didn't want I, I always didn't, I didn't like being called mother. I didn't like being called reverend. I just wanted to be Jessica. And yet I did want to offer this. And so having models, it seemed like that would be really important. Giovanna certainly was an important model. There's another woman, Denise Donato. She was one of the first right, women I, right. I experienced Eucharist with. That's right. She was at that workshop. At that workshop, right. Yeah. And there were other Episcopal priests I knew. But there weren't very many models. And as a young woman, that was really, I, I have my own way of being in the world that it was kind of lonely. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. kind of like, yeah. wow, I'm kind of setting off on this journey. Mm-hmm. And yet it was empowering at the same time. So it was just this mixed bag of of walking into a role that, that I needed to get used to. And part of the beauty of the priesthood, though, I think, is that it's not like you put on a chasuble and, hello, you're a priest. I mean, it might look that way, but what my experience told me was the more relationships I formed with people in that role, the more authentic it felt and it became. Oh. You know, it's all about, you know, it's it's not like, it's like marriage where you get married and all of a sudden it's okay, you're married. Well, no, there's all these experiences leading up to it and after it that create this dynamic interplay that is marriage. Well, I think it's the same with, with any kind of priesthood or I'm sure as a bishop you're experiencing this as well, that it's it's this give and take and that you more come into yes. the sacrament as you as you create relationships and create stories with people. I totally believe that. And the ritual of ordination, of course, is a wonderful sort of threshold moment. <laughs> and I have this great image of you that I will never forget, Jessica. When you're literally invested, when they put the chasuble over you at ordination. Which is like the uh, big poncho thing. Right, right. It looks like a big poncho. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Jessica, as soon as she put it on, the first thing she did was sort of flick her hair. <laughs> <laughs> the blonde hair I had. Oh my gosh, I was dying my hair then. <laughs> in a way that no one in my experience had ever done before after putting on a chasuble. And so that was, that was you were saying how it unfolds in layers. The opening up that your story was doing for me, that was that was a tremendous moment because it was so clear that this woman had just been ordained simply in the way she flicked her hair <laughs> as soon as she put on the chasuble. And I thought to myself, wow, we're, we're really doing something different here. Mm. And, and I agree that th- these are threshold moments, but then we grow into roles. And that, that's a, a marvelous part of of taking on a role like this in the church or in any place in life where where we we might be a psychologist the day we get our diploma and our license but then what what does that mean after 20 years the kind of psychologist you are is going to be you know very very different after having grown into the role let me ask you a question i like stories that are happy 
But you mentioned something that made me a little sad, and I don't mean in a bad way. I mean like, ooh, I'd like to know more about that. So I'll bet it was kind of lonely being a woman priest when there aren't really a lot of women priests around, and, and maybe also when you're around a lot of people who are experiencing it as new too, so maybe mm. that was isolating. I don't know. Tell me about that. Well, yeah, I think I'm also a personality that's hyper-conscious of what other people might be thinking, and that really served me well as a priest because in the midst of a liturgy or something, I could sort of feel the group and put words to their experiences and their feelings. But it also meant that I knew that sometimes people were coming just to check out this phenomenon, you know, of this young woman priest, and is she legit? So, I mean, I had to shore up my own person. And I did that through really great relationships and, you know, your mentorship and uh, all the great people of the parish that really supported me from the beginning. But it was also an experience that was definitely evolving and in some ways painful of trying to just And as a 20-something, gosh, this is the story of just being in your 20s, right? Right. Like, of finding your own self and not getting too lost in the role. I think that was always what I was trying to balance. And so, like, becoming a mother was was such a touchstone moment for me because then it was so clear that I was also this other thing. And because of the nature of our lives, I had to bring my babies to church with me. I mean, I've performed Eucharist with a child on my hip more than once. I I had to breastfeed in the middle of a a mass once. Nine months pregnant while you were celebrating the Eucharist. Yeah, Yeah, one of those times was on was on Good Friday, I remember. Yeah, and just and I was able. So it was rich in the sense that I was able to bring those experiences to my preaching and presiding and to the relationships of the parish and people were able to experience that in a way I think that is enriching because there aren't those images. But it was also like, wow, I don't really know what does it mean to take maternity leave? What does it mean to create a healthy balance between when you have little people at home draining your energy and, you know, being a, a parish pastor? And I think for a long time, I felt like I had to act differently. or I had to like be brave and strong and say like, I'm not exhausted. I'm fine. You know, look, I'm, you know, I, yeah, I only got two hours of sleep last night, but let's, let's sing the Alleluia. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it was a lot of figuring out like, you know what, just they don't need a priest that's not being authentic. They need a human being that they call to this role, but they know that you're a human being and it's in being human that people connect with you more than anything. And that has been a lesson over the 10 years in my priesthood that I've, I've had to really sink into. And it's something I have to constantly remind myself that I don't need to be not human, that we are all spiritual beings and that the humanity that comes out of our particular lives, even when we're exhausted and complaining, is still holy and is still part of the journey and is still something that that I think our faith feeds off of. It's not separate. That's, um, That's so beautiful how you moved so effortlessly in those last couple of sentences to bring it back to the level of meaning while you were exploring the, the difficulties of, of putting a young life together as, as a young priest and as a young mother. You know, someone could give a sermon on the, the meaning of suffering or how Christians have 
typically thought of suffering in terms of the Paschal Mystery or whatever, and it could sound very heady, mm. but to do it the way you just did it sounds so real. It, mm. You just effortlessly focused on your own suffering and brought it to the level of meaning. And, and that's really how the deepest, truest part of our tradition gets passed on. Mm. That's why we're promoting storytelling with each mm. other so that this is how important things like faith and love and hope are shared. It's, mm-hmm. it's their story. So thank you. That was yeah. awesome. Thank you for asking, Frank. And I hope when we come back from our break that we can talk more about your story because okay. your story is fascinating. <laughs> You're listening to a priest and a bishop walk into a story. We'll be right back. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Like what you're hearing on A Priest and a Bishop Walk Into a Story? We are listener and donor supported. Donate now and hear more stories from an inclusive and welcoming Catholic worldview. Visit us at apriestandabishop.com and walk away changed. The movies have taken generations, young and old, by storm. Toy Story, starring Tom Hanks and a voice cast that just will not quit, are ready to be reviewed by Two Guys Talking. Be sure to join me, Mike Wilkerson, and an array of guest hosts as we review each and every one of the beloved Toy Story franchise. One, two, and the most recent three. Only from Two Guys Talking. Hi, I'm Justin Tyler from Songspotters.com, and you're listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Unlike TV or radio ads, where every instance the ads are broadcast, they're only played once and lost forever. Perpetual advertising could have repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, and even years after they're inserted in a podcast. So even if a podcast is a few years old, your ads will still be impactful to repeat listeners as well as new listeners. This gives your advertising dollar the most bang for the buck. Find out more about perpetual advertising at twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. Hi, I'm Jessica, the priest in A Priest and a Bishop. Walk into a story. Welcome back. So Frank, you were reflecting back to me that uh, you were ordained at 26, like me. Um, So you've had a couple decades of the priesthood and you started out in the Roman Catholic Church and found your way to the Ecumenical Catholic Communion. Tell us about that journey. Uh, Before there was Jessica, before I got to know you, (laughs) I was a priest in the Roman Catholic Church. I was uh, ordained about the same time you were. I loved being a priest. I loved the work. I loved being with people. I loved everything about it. The reason that I left the Roman Catholic priesthood in 1990 was just strictly personal. I was coming out to myself as a gay man 
and knew that I did not want to live as a celibate. I didn't see how I was going to be able to do that. Of course, I struggled with that for a while, trying to decide if I could, and decided that that I didn't want to do that. So I transitioned to a completely different life. I got a job in the corporate world. I left behind something I loved. I wasn't leaving in anger by any means. Uh, It wasn't anything like that. I was broke. <laughs> I remember. Well, priesthood yeah, isn't lucrative. <laughs> yeah, you don't make a lot of money as a priest. Well, at least in those days. I don't know if it's still true. I imagine it's still true. So I, I didn't have any money. I did, but so I had to get a job and start making some money and supporting myself. Which uh, fortunately, everything sort of fell into place, and and I ended up having a very very good job at a behavioral health care company. And I started exploring, meeting people, dating. Finally met the man who is my husband today, Art Maines. And I still attended a a Roman Catholic church. I was a part of a small group of other gay men in this parish. We simply encouraged one another in our faith. We got, we, you know, shared our faith with each other, shared life with each other, just enjoyed being with each other, became really, really good friends. And then one day, so it was like 14 years later after I left the priesthood the first time, I was at Easter Sunday Mass. Art was there. My mother was there. I, I just I wanted to take her out for Easter Sunday Mass and let her experience this awesome choir that they had in the church. So we were all there. And the priest called me up to help with communion. I hadn't done that in 14 years. I mm. So it was, I, I just kind of demurred. I looked at him and shook my head. No, I don't want to do that. And he just kept <laughs> insisting that I come up and help him because he needed extra ministers who knew what they were doing because there were so many people in church because it was Easter. So I went up and I started uh, distributing communion and it was like a rubber band snapping back into shape. Mm. Just everything inside of me went back to where I was. I, I started blessing babies, which I shouldn't have been doing, but I just it just came to me. I mean, anytime you know a baby came forward, I just automatically prayed over the baby and was distributing community. And I, apparently I had this huge smile on my face, which I didn't know until, until later. And, and I'll just jump to that because Art and I were doing chores around the house later on in the day, and he's following me around like a like a puppy. <laughs> He's not saying anything. And um, I just kind of looked at him like, what's going on here? And he said, I just want you to know that I have never seen you so happy mm. as I saw you this morning. And then he said, uh, whatever is going on inside of you, I just want you to know I want to support And what he didn't know when he was saying these words is as I was distributing communion, he couldn't have known this, I just had this feeling like I've got to get back to this somehow. And and obviously distributing communion, when you think about it, is not like the coolest thing about being a priest on one level, but on the other (laughs) hand, it sort of is because you're engaging with each member of the congregation and you're looking in their eyes and it it can be a a, a beautiful uh, sacramental moment and it's... Of course, it is a sacramental moment, but I mean in all the layers of what we mean by just laden with meaning uh, there. And so a moment ago, I I said it completely incorrectly when I said Art couldn't have known because, of course, he did know, and that's why he said that. It's just that I hadn't told him, but he still knew, Hmm. which 
you know, over the years, the more I reflect on that, I think, boy, did I make the right choice, <laughs> you know, to share my life with someone who would uh, know me so well and want to want to support me. Mm-hmm. And, and the way that it's like something inside of me that wants expression and um, and he's willing to support that. So I walked away from that day deciding I wanted to get back into it somehow and thought about the Episcopal Church uh, for, you know, a church uh, that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I thought of perhaps joining them. And then when I found the Ecumenical Catholic Communion, which happened sort of serendipitously, I just fell in love with these folks. They were celebrating the same kind of, as I said before, sort of cultural fabric that, that I was used to. And yet somebody like me could be a gay man and be accepted as a a functioning priest. And I thought that my world's coming together in a way I never thought would happen, that I Mm -hmm. could actually be happily married to a man and be pastoring a congregation that not only was okay with that, but actually wanted to celebrate that. And, and, and it's, it's funny because they, they respect that and they honor that but at the same time, it's almost like nobody notices. Like yeah. like when I was up for election for presiding bishop, we had this like two-year vetting process. Yeah. No one hmm. ever asked anything about my being gay. Hmm. I, and they could have asked any questions, but it just never came to anyone's mind yeah. except to ask me, was my spouse okay with my getting involved in this because they were sensitive to how spousal relationships could be hurt Mm -hmm. um, by a job like this. It was something that, fortunately, I had, you know, talked over with Artie. But, you know, it's funny. As I say that, this is a place where stories think they're going one direction, and then because of some emotion welling up, we take a little detour. I have to say, in the interest of being totally honest, it is hard to be the spouse of someone who's a who's functioning as a priest and maybe especially as a bishop because I have to travel a lot. Hmm. Uh, I get my head in very exciting things. And there are things that are not, it, 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 as, as one head of communion in the national, we're members of the National Council of Churches. Mm-hmm. And so every year I take a retreat with other heads of communion in the National Council of Churches. And a couple of them said to me last December, what you're experiencing with your spouse there, we've all gone through. Mm-hmm. When you get a position like this, it's a little bit like the job is a mistress. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like, it's like the other man or the other woman because you're all lit up, you're all excited, you're doing these new things, mm-hmm. and there's the person at home that's not, like you're being excited about something else. It's just, it's something to be dealt with. I mean, yeah. that, there's, it's like we have to, in our moments of sharing with each other, uh, deal with that because, mm-hmm. you know, we want to support each other in doing what we do. Art's a psychotherapist. I mm-hmm. want to support him in what he's doing. And he wants to support me in a way. Those are separate lives. And so we have to kind of do that with a lot of care. Sure. Um, I just love how authentically and honestly you're talking because, I mean, you started out and it just sounded like in this, I think this was true in your experience, like everything came together in this gorgeous way where uh, 
I mean, in just grace that you couldn't even imagine. And I think that's what I experienced when I first encountered the ecumenical Catholic communion too, that it's like, oh my goodness, all of these aspects of church life that have fed me and nurtured me are here and and I get to be married and and a mother and bring all of that to this church. But it's still getting through the day as a human being and that doesn't change even you know you could get everything you want I mean pe- I think people careful what you wish for because you'll get it and then it's still it's still difficult because you're still trying to manage life in the real world it just because you're a spiritual person a person of faith doesn't mean you're not struggling and I think that's a beautiful part of really authentic storytelling. And that's the kind of space I hope we can create here on A Priest and a Bishop Walk Into a Story. A story where we're not BSing each other with like all of these pretty stories, but where we can kind of be real uh, and say it's where the rubber hits the road that we can really love each other. And that is the core of sacrament. That's the core of grace. All these churchy, churchy words that we put on things, but really I think have a basis in our real life. When I can hear you and feel that I'm actually not functioning as I'm not I mean I'm functioning as a priest I'm not a pastor at the church anymore because I got pregnant with my third child and that was not expected and I thought man I need a break I need to be able to just focus on my kids and that was a hard decision because I know when your heart is in these relationships with people in the parish there's these expectations and yet you also are a human being with a family at home and that needs to be honored. And you ha- you're your own spiritual person too. And to create space for yourself to continue that mysterious relationship of prayer and connection to you know the divine and the mystery is so important and it can get so forgotten when you're just busy busy you know which is everybody's issue you know in today's culture we're busy busy and and it's you mentioned a couple things there jessica that reminded me of our theme um so as as you talk about the particularities of your life and you get very clear on exactly what's happening in your life. That's when your story becomes this story that anyone wants to listen to because it's so real. And yet, and and so people can identify, like I identify with it. I'm not a mother. I'm mm-hmm. not, I'm not a woman. I'm not a mother. I don't have children. There are a lot of things that are not, you would think, well, I can't connect. And on a certain level, it's true, I can't connect. But on the other hand, there's something about the particularity of you saying that that just draws me to pay mm-hmm. very close attention to you and to feel like I'm learning something and engaging mm-hmm. with someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's that's a that's a kind of a strange mystery, but it's true. So, mm-hmm. and I want to tell our listeners that we very intentionally wanted to have this first conversation be about our own stories, uh, not because we want to sort of display ourselves hopefully in some kind of narcissistic way, although uh, I'll be the first to admit that uh, I'm still working on the ego thing, but because we believe that stories are important and we're trying to display, we thought by just having a spontaneous story, we didn't rehearse this very much except maybe talk about a couple of points we would go over or whatever, but by doing this authentically, it's a way to sort of put on display to our listeners, this is... This is the tool that we want to use going forward. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking to other people episode after episode where we will recede to the background 
and be sort of microscopes that that zoom in on their lives and tease out their lives as they tell their stories. This is where we're going. We're starting mm-hmm. with each other, but we're going there. In their particular, right, in other people's stories and their particularities. Um, I think we hinted at this earlier, but I've heard pieces, or I've heard most of the story that you just told, and yet in hearing it again, I hear it in a new way because it's been a few years since I've heard that story. And now that I've had more and different experiences, you know, it touches me and it ch- I can feel it, you know, changing the way I understand you and the way I understand my own story. And that's the exciting thing for me, especially now that I'm not in a parish, but I'm a priest. I still do weddings and I serve in different ways, but I'm a priest sort of at large in my community. And it's it's the stories that I hear that are really authentic that that continue to change and shift me and my telling of my story and my faith life. That's the most exciting part of this call is that it's dynamic. And I would argue that we're all priests in that sense. And actually, you know, Catholic theology would say it by virtue of baptism, we are all priests Mm -hmm. and that, you know, we are always growing and changing. So I'm just excited to be talking to lots of different personalities, people who are in the church, people who are out of the church, people who are scientists and writers, all different kinds of people that have their own particular stories. But to know that their stories are going to affect me in a way that will affect, I mean, it'd be interesting at the end of this run to to tell our stories again and see how they've changed. I mean, I don't think we would tell them the same way, right? I noticed that about uh, telling a story. We we tell the stories of our lives differently depending on to whom we're speaking because not because well i mean i suppose sometimes we might just want to lie and <laughs> and give a different impression of who we are but if we're really being authentic we're still going to tell it differently because of the person to whom mm-hmm. we're speaking because we we think well this aspect is a little more important for this moment with what i'm trying to express so we we just and and then uh, what the other person might be interested in or how they're reacting to us in that moment as we're talking. Mm-hmm. There are just all these different things that that make the story different. And you know, just think how, how important socialization is for a child or for an older person. You know, if you're if you're all by yourself and you're not out making stories happen with your friends in the backyard or at the mm-hmm. senior center, mm-hmm. then you're kind of sort mm-hmm. of something's atrophying Mm -hmm. and um we're meant to socialize this way we're meant to share our stories it's life-giving absolutely i feel life from you frank what was that (laughs) you're like my son i Uh, feel life from you right now (laughs) thank you so when i was in the parish one of my primary responsibilities was to write the liturgies and it was one of my great passions and it still is i write prayers sort of as a hobby as a part of this podcast we are going to conclude each with uh, a little blessing a blessing of your story in all its particularity today Your story is captivating because the introduction of a character, a new twist, a fresh insight will change its telling tomorrow. May you be blessed by the unfolding epic that is your life, beginning new every day. So we'd like to just leave you with a couple of questions rolling around in your head as we disappear. What introductions 
changed the course of your life? A person? An idea? A place? Something to think about. Thanks for listening to A Priest and a Bishop Walk Into a Story. We hope you join us again as we wander into another story next time.